Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome to a 90-minute broadcast called Prophecy Today Weekend. So glad to have you. And you may have heard me say 90-minute program. Love to have you stay with us for the 90 minutes. We have our broadcast partners standing by. These gentlemen are going to be able to give you details and background information about the headlines you may be reading or hearing on one of the news programs, radio or television, or on the printed page. This is a key program to help you understand how the prophetic passages of God's Word are quickly coming into focus, helping us to realize where we may well be in God's time. And remember, the next event in God's calendar of activities is the rapture of the church. I'm going to begin with that precious truth, and that's our blessed hope. We'll conclude with that as well when I take a look at the book. So glad to have you along. We'll be going across the world with somewhat of a focus on Jerusalem Day on Friday, May the 22nd. It was Jerusalem Day. That is key in the life of the newborn state of Israel. So we want you to hear all the information given out. We're going to move now first to our broadcast partner who is now located in southern France. Not necessarily because he wants to be in southern France, but because the French government has stopped any and all travel going out of France Ken Timmerman is the man we're talking about. And Ken, do you see any possibility you'll be able to fly back home anytime soon? Well, not for the next month, Jimmy. The uh, borders will remain closed at the last we've heard until June the 16th. And that includes even the land borders inside European countries, the so-called Schengen borders. Uh, So, you know, we're still on a wait-and-see basis here. Well, we'll stay on top of that story with you as you make uh, those decisions and make those moves to be able to come back home to America. But stay safe, my dear friend, while you're there. That's not too bad of a location to have to be locked down, is it? Life could be a lot worse, Jimmy. (laughs) Believe me. (laughs) Yes, well, praise the Lord for that. Well, Ken, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, has been accusing China for some type of a conspiracy Uh, because they shut down all information about the coronavirus coming out of that area of the world. Uh, The president has just told he's going to freeze all of the funding right now at uh, the World Health Organization. Seems like there's some kind of a conspiracy. Can you talk to that issue with us between China and the coronavirus? What is really going on? Well, on Monday, the president sent a letter to the uh, secretary general, Dr. Tedros, of the World Health Organization, saying, we will cut U.S. funding to you permanently if you don't reform within 30 days, and if you don't give us full and complete information within 30 days of what happened in the early stages of the coronavirus outbreak. Here's what the president is alleging, and it's not only Donald Trump, you can put together a chronology of these events yourself if you spend the time doing it from the public sources. In the early stages of the outbreak, in November and December, the Chinese did their very best to keep everything quiet. They didn't want news to leak out. When researchers discovered that there was a novel coronavirus causing the outbreak of pneumonia in Wuhan in 
mid and late December, they started to talk about this over social media, and they shared the results with other scientists. The Chinese government then stepped in and shut down the social media networks. They uh, convoked the scientists to the intelligence ministry headquarters in Wuhan and made them sign confessions that they were essentially counter-revolutionaries and spreading rumors and lies. This was at the end of December. So the Chinese knew at the end of December that they had a real problem, an outbreak of a potentially pandemic proportions on their hands, and they sought to shut down any information about it. Their communications with the World Health Organization were similar. They first told them about the cases of pneumonia on December 31st, but said, no, don't worry, it's not serious. On January 5th, the WHO first talked about it, but they said, no big deal, we're working with the Chinese. Well, they weren't working with the Chinese. They were taking Chinese propaganda. It wasn't until the end of January, after Dr. Tedros met in Beijing with President Xi, the president of China, that he had the agreement from Xi to send an international team to Wuhan, who didn't arrive until the end of February, just about the end of February, to look into what was happening. So you had this almost two-month period where the Chinese were shutting down information. At the same time, Chinese citizens, people who had been in Wuhan, were getting on flights and going to Seattle, Washington, going to Los Angeles, going to New York, going to Europe, and spreading the virus worldwide. So my take on this is that the Chinese felt that if the virus remained inside China, it would be a Chinese problem. But if the virus escaped to the world, it would be a worldwide problem. My dear friends, what you've just heard is basically speaking to the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word, because Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12 talks about the kings of the east, that would be China basically, along with India and the other countries out there in the far east, playing a key role in the end-time scenario of God's Word. Ken Timmerman, I wanted to cover this because of the fact that the media across the world has been covering it, but not with all the facts that Ken is able to bring to the table. So you've heard it right here on Prophecy Today. Ken, let's get to a couple of other items we need to talk about. Iran, uh, the head general there of the military, saying that the end of Israel is able to happen at any moment. It's imminent. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's been imminent for the past 30 years, Jimmy, if you listen to the Iranians. But again, they have been building up military capabilities that increase the weight of these boasts. Okay, they are still boasts by the Iranian leadership, but they now have some factual basis to it. The Iranians have built up capabilities, especially with their missile forces, which are very impressive and very real. The Israelis take them very real. In particular, they have a solid fuel missile called the Sajil that they have been developing. They've been testing it basically over the past 10 years pretty much successfully. It is uh, uh, capable of carrying a nuclear warhead to Israel from the center of Iran. It has a 2,000 or 2,500, depending on the variation, kilometer range. 
so it can hit Israel from anywhere inside Iran with a nuclear warhead. The fact that it's solid fuel is significant because that means it can be spun up and launched with virtually no preparation and no early warning. The Israelis would not see it ahead of time, whereas with a liquid fuel missile, it takes something like 12 hours in some cases to fuel these missiles, and so that gets picked up by satellite surveillance a long time ahead of time, but not with a solid fuel missile. So it gives them the ability of launching a surprise strike against Israel should they decide to do so. That is a, so that is a new capability, and it does give some backbone to what otherwise would be an idle boast uh, by another Iranian general. And also just this caveat, the supreme leader, the Ayatollah, making a presentation of a poster calling for the final solution. That's an interesting term, a kind of a sound from Adolf Hitler, if you consider what he said about the final solution, poster being posted there. But remember, Israel is simply the little Satan, the big Satan is America, And I understand that Iran's security forces have dedicated their existence to trying to destroy the United States of America. What do we know about that? Well, they have done that. And then from the very beginning, remember, the event that cemented the advent of this Islamic regime in Tehran was the seizing of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran on November 4th, 1979. Uh, So from the very beginning, they have used America, they have been targeting America, and been using America to mobilize the pro-Islamic forces inside Iran uh, to get them to work together with this Islamic regime. So they're doing that through ideology, they're doing that through events, through uh, attacks, uh, terrorist attacks, uh, through taking hostages in the 1980s. Today, they have uh, a whole series of proxy forces uh, run more or less by Hezbollah in Lebanon, so they have proxy fighters in Yemen, uh, in Iraq, uh, and in Syria, who are doing their best to strike at American forces or American allies. This remains uh, the goal of the Islamic regime in Tehran, the big Satan, the little Satan. And by the way, that poster that you mentioned where Ayatollah Khamenei talks about the final solution uh, with Israel, that is not just an accidental turn of a phrase. That is absolutely an appeal to Adolf Hitler uh, it is an appeal to what Hitler did in World War II. It's an appeal to genocide. And this, Jimmy, has always been what anti-Semites around the world do. They appeal to Hitler. You see this with the, in the Palestinian uh, territories as well, on Palestinian TV. Uh, they have been doing this uh, ever since World War II. I've written a book about this quite some time ago called Preachers of Hate, Islam and the War in America, where I trace Islamic anti-Semitism. Uh, it's all of a piece. It's very coherent, and it's no accident that they always use the language of the Nazis. I believe that would be a great read. Go to KenTimmerman.com. You'll be able to find how to get a copy of that particular book. You see, my dear friends, Ken Timmerman is key to this broadcast operation here on Prophecy Today weekend. We have him to help us understand geopolitical events. In fact, what he said about the conspiracy between China and the coronavirus 
might be something you want to send along to a friend. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and send the link to a friend. They need to hear what Ken had to say. Ken, thank you so very much. Great report, my good friend. Stay safe there in southern France. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless and be well. We're going to take a break here, and we'll come back with David Dolan. He has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, in this segment, we're going to be talking to David Dolan. He has his Middle East news update for us. This is an essential report on a weekly basis to understand what's going on in this key region of the world prophetically and how things are being put in place, the stage being set for the curtain to go up on that final drama and all the prophetic significance found in God's Word to be fulfilled at that time. So, so glad that you could join us. And in fact, as I begin my conversation with David, I'm going to be talking about Jerusalem Day. Now, that is key prophetically. The word Jerusalem used 764 times in the Bible. So Jerusalem is key. And David, you've been in Jerusalem for many, many of these celebrations of that commemoration of June 7, 1967, when for the first time in about 2,000 years, the Israeli Defense Force was able to reunite the city of Jerusalem. 
I imagine this year it's going to be a, a different celebration. I want you to talk about normally what it is and how it's going to be shut down a little bit this year, but the security is going to be high in Jerusalem Day, is it not? Indeed, Jimmy. And uh, normally, of course, there's a major parade in Jerusalem. There's all sorts of celebrations around the country. People go to the parks. But people come up to Jerusalem from all over the country normally. That's not being allowed this year, or at least they're not recommending that. Instead of the parade, a human chain around the old city of Israelis supporting, of course, a socially distanced chain. They're not holding hands or anything, but gathering around the old city to commemorate Israel retaking that uh, vital central heart of the Jewish people, the Temple Mount, of course, being there. Nothing going on there as well, security tight. And, of course, no foreign visitors, Jimmy. There's usually a lot of people that fly in for the day and for the events around it, but the Israeli government just announced that all non-Israelis will be banned from entering the country at all until mid-June now, extending that by two weeks uh, because of the coronavirus. There's been some indications of a second spike, a second wave beginning in parts of Israel, so they're clamping down pretty hard on that and definitely not like usual. That also means, though, that security is a lot lighter because if you don't have the big crowds, you don't have the same need for large numbers of security forces, but Palestinians are still banned from going into parts of uh, Israel during the day and that because, of course, the Muslims commemorate it as a disaster day, and so they don't uh, celebrate it at all. And it's quite interesting that the Prime Minister was making a statement prior to Friday and Jerusalem Day. He was responding to what the Iranians are saying, the Supreme Leader making a statement that it could be imminent, the destruction of the State of Israel, the final solution on a poster. But the Prime Minister, the newly put in place prime minister for the new government, making the statement that you threaten Israel, you're going to face destruction. Pretty tough statement. Yes, indeed. He said that those, I'm quoting, those who threaten Israel with destruction will bring the same peril on themselves. And the defense minister, Benny Gantz, the new defense minister, head of the Blue and White Party, said, don't test us. Israel and the Zionist dream are an accomplished fact. Unlike the Iranian pawns, attempting to destabilize the region. Well, that came after Ayatollah Khamenei, the leader of Iran, as you said, called for the obliteration of Israel, indicated that would come soon. And, Jimmy, this comes after an intense week between Iran and Israel. Iranian hackers got into Israel's water system and shut down some pumps in central Israel at a main water station. The Israelis replied by shutting down a naval base, basically, an Iranian naval base near the Straits of Hormuz, getting into their computers, shutting the whole thing down. And then on Thursday, a bunch of Israeli websites had their home pages replaced by uh, pictures of uh, Tel Aviv under bombardment with statements saying, this is going to come soon, Israel will be destroyed this sort of thing. So Israel was responding to that. So a hot cyber war already going on between Israel and and Iran with the uh, real possibility that this will turn into an actual on-the-ground war in the not-too-distant future. And of course, as you said, the Israeli leaders warning against that. They're aware of what's happening and they're prepared as they have to be in these terrible times. One of the proxies for Iran is Hezbollah located there in southern Lebanon. 
And David, I hear there's developing a conflict there at Israel's northern border with Lebanon, the Israeli Defense Force and Hezbollah both bracing for war. What do we know? Yes, the Associated Press put out a very detailed report on that this week, Jimmy, and uh, I've been following that for some time. It was 20 years ago this month. I was in Israel reporting for CBS Radio at the time when the IDF finally quit Lebanon after, well, since 1978. They first went in, the Latani operation, and then, of course, the full war began in 82, and Israeli troops had been in Lebanon all those years. Hezbollah formed in 82, and, of course, they were launching suicide attacks and periodic armed conflicts. The last hot conflict between Israel and Hezbollah, 2006, but it does look like we're on the verge of that. But, of course, it would not just be uh, a battle between Israel and the Lebanese Hezbollah militia. It's between Iran and Israel and Iran's proxies, uh, the main one being the Lebanese Hezbollah militia, but they also control the Iraqi Hezbollah militia, which has forces in Syria. They also, of course, arm the Yemenite Houthi rebels. They have forces in the Sinai. They're surrounding Israel. They support Hamas and Islamic Jihad, cozying up to the Palestinian Authority. So this is really a war, a regional war that's developing, but signs along that Lebanese-Israel border that conflict is imminent. And, of course, this attack on Israeli websites, the attack on a water facility, the Israeli response, these are serious incidents, Jimmy, very, very serious times indeed. And we will stay on top of that with David Dolan. David, the United Nations, not a real friend of Israel, they have, however, made a statement that they want Israel to abandon the annexation plans for Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley. I don't believe that's going to happen to you. Uh, probably not, Jimmy, but uh, we have had uh, developments this week that are ominous. We had the Palestinian Authority actually cut all security ties with Israel. They've been threatening to do that. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the PA leader, finally did it this week. He said there's no hotline anymore, no communication going on between the Israeli Defense Forces and the Palestinian Security Forces. However, one of his aides later made clear that they will maintain their security forces. They will keep law and order in Palestinian cities and towns, as they've been doing, but they won't allow any cooperation with Israel. And, in fact, they physically prevented, Jimmy, some Israeli border guards this week from going into Hebron. They were chasing, actually, a terrorist suspect, and they stopped them from coming in, whereas before there was, as I said, cooperation going on as part of the peace accords. The Palestinians also, Jimmy, informed the Americans that through the CIA, no cooperation with them anymore. They would have no ties anymore with any American representatives. So really, we're, we're basically in the final stages of a, of a war developing, Jimmy, and this looks like it's going to be part of it. The Palestinians, once again, on the war path against Israel formerly. Of course, that war has never ended, as we've discussed many times. In reality, it's still going on. And as we also observe what's happening, we see the United States seemingly endeavoring to move out of the Middle East, which could possibly, according to one Israeli expert, could pave a path for China to take over. Is that a viable possibility? And is that the reason that when the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, was there meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu, they talked about China? What's the deal here? 
Well, there's no doubt that the United States has taken a huge economic hit uh, from the coronavirus, so the most hit country in the world, the highest casualties so far, and this sort of thing, and that that will affect America's spending, America's military power. In fact, some are comparing this to the collapse of the Soviet Union, which went from being a superpower to uh, a second-rate power within just a few years. They're saying this could happen to the United States. Again, Israel saying we will defend ourselves, we're ready to defend ourselves and stand up. But they do recognize that others want to enter that breach. Russia's been doing that. China very actively trying to do that, not only in the Middle East, in Europe, in Africa, and other places as well. And the Americans are very concerned about that, especially the fact that Chinese companies have bought the port of Haifa, one of Israel's two main naval ports and import access areas and uh, that they're running that now, and the Americans are not very happy about that. But the Israelis are not likely to cozy up that strongly to China, but, you know, they need all the friends they can get, and China's trying to be that one at this time. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us, as a key report, his Middle East news update on a weekly basis. You do not want to miss it. And that's why we have him available here on Prophecy Today. David, thank you so very much. Excellent report. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad, our broadcast partner, standing by. What we're going to do is we're going to talk with Winky about the new government and his recollections of Jerusalem Day. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga. This has been the location from which we have been able to communicate, not only here across America, but around the world. We've had emails coming in from many locations across the entire planet who are picking up the broadcast while we're under lockdown. You know, us old people have to be here and stay at home and let everybody take care of us. I like that part. Not able, though, to hug and kiss my grandchildren. That is becoming somewhat of a problem. But the Lord knows, and we're just waiting till that time will come available when we can do exactly that. We're moving into the second half hour with our broadcast partners standing by. We're going to be talking about a very important time as it relates to the Jewish people, Jerusalem Day, which took place on Friday. I'll do that in my conversation with Winky Madad. 
But Winky, so glad to have you, and I hope you're doing well. How about it? Is your family well? Jimmy, we're all doing fine. We've had actually a few face-to-face meetings with our grandkids at a distance out on our back porch here at Shiloh. No hugging, no kissing, but at least we can observe them better than the Zoom and the video chats that we were doing. And uh, slowly but surely, the country is actually beginning to come out of its corona period. Well, been there and done that and looking forward to the time, I'm sure you are as well, to being able to hug and kiss those grandbabies. Well, let me get in. I want to talk about Jerusalem today, as I just mentioned. We'll do that in a moment. But finally, after about 500 days, a new Israeli government is in place, has been sworn in. Just briefly, tell us how that all came about. Well, Jimmy, as you remember, there were three election polls that were done just over a year, and each block, the blue and the white, from center to center left, and the could on the right, could not muster a 61-seat majority in the Knesset. And finally, Mr. Benny Gantz realized that a fourth election round was really out of the picture, and offers were made, and as politics in Israel is an art, the basic thing was not only unity government, but two prime ministers, one called an alternate prime minister, would be appointed uh, at the same time over a period of three years, so that uh, Mr. Netanyahu will be a, just over a year, close to a year and a half, and Mr. Gantz will take his place and everything will switch around. It's bulky, it's a little bit cumbersome, it's not the best product, but at the present moment, as I speak, it's managing to get government offices and ministries back into work. And as I understand it, when they were sworn in, the vote was taken at the Israeli Knesset. Uh, They came up with 72 votes or 73 in favor of the new government. That sounds like it should be a pretty stable government. Is that going to be the case? Well, it should be because, as the principle goes, in these situations you hug each other a lot harder uh, because otherwise everything begins to fall apart. And in my personal opinion, that the left knows that Mr. Netanyahu, even if he goes on trial uh, this coming week, it'll take a very long time, he was on the upswing. So Mr. Gantz would not gain anything in breaking up the government. And uh, so we're in for an interesting at least a year and a half now to see how things run and how the two main political figures, Mr. Gantz and Mr. Netanyahu, uh, charter these stormy waters. Winky, uh, over those 500 days, three elections, Prime Minister Netanyahu was able to keep his right-wing government, potential government, I should say, together. But it does not look like he has a right-wing government today. Some of the major players in the right wing of the Israeli body politic, not in this government. Why did he let the right wing go? I mean, does he have a different thinking now than he did before? Well, Jimmy, the problem is, is what you call the right wing was actually a block of three very small parties. One, which was led by Naftali Bennett, had actually disappeared in the second round of elections. 
And so they joined together with a former national religious party and another group. And so there were only six members of the Knesset, and yet they wanted a lot of seats. And Mr. Netanyahu, and this is his public explanation, could not give them all they wanted. He could only give them part, and so it broke apart. One minister, a minister or a rabbi, Rafi Peretz, did join the coalition. Naftali Bennett, Ayala Chaked, and a fellow by the name of Batsalo Smotrich decided to go into the opposition. I want to ask then, I understand how the Israeli government works. If they go for a no-confidence vote, any government that's in place could come down. Could there be a possibility that Prime Minister Netanyahu might see an advantage in the future and before he has to give up the prime ministership to bring the government down and go to new elections? Is that a possibility? That's not only a possibility, Jimmy, but most political pundits presume that's what's going to happen. And the odds are not in favor of anybody betting, because no one will give anybody the advantage of uh, saying that you could probably win that bet. Everybody is thinking that Netanyahu either will find an excuse or one will come up that will allow him to break up that coalition and go to elections again, this time, hopefully, after the corona has finished completely after the Israeli economy has begun to spring back and everything, and especially extending some form of sovereignty to parts of Judea and Samaria, as the Trump administration indicates. And we'll have to be speaking again in another year, Jimmy, to see if I spoke correctly a year previously. Yeah, I'll keep the tape for you and make sure that we're able to circle back and see what you had to say about that particular question. Well, let's uh, focus on something else other than politics in Israel. On Friday, May the 22nd, it was Jerusalem Day. It marked, of course, June 7, and because of the Jewish calendar, that's the different date. But June 7, 1967, in the Six-Day War, the Israeli Defense Force was able to go up onto the Temple Mount, reunite the city of Jerusalem. That was a very historic day and a special day for the Jewish people, wasn't it? It was, Jimmy, and I have, of course, a personal recollection of that because I spent a year here in Israel as a student between September 66 and August 1967. So I was here during that time. Actually, during the war, I was on the Hebron front in a World War II uniform, basically, in a foxhole as we prepared to defend ourselves if the Jordanian army uh, decided to invade at that point. I heard the song of uh, Jerusalem of Gold a week and a half previously, and then the broadcast that the Temple Mount is in our hands. And a week later, the day after the holiday of Shavuot, I was at the Western Wall. And so for me, Jimmy, of course, even though I'm a youngster, 53 years have passed, and I still remember quite vividly the uniting of the city, 19 years of a broken-up capital of the state of Israel being together uh, once again, history, returning to history, uh, as we said, the Temple Mount, the Western Wall, the old city itself, and it was quite remarkable, and as I've written somewhere else recently, my soul was exhilarated. Wow, what a special memory for you, Winky Madad. I'm so glad you shared that with us. However, 
I have read the ancient Jewish prophets. Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Jerusalem basically is going to be a center of controversy. Now, I know that's possibly a prophecy to be fulfilled in the future, uh, but it is somewhat of a center of controversy today, is it not, with this conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians? Well, Jimmy, it's remarkable. When we were not in the old city, no one heard very much about Palestinian designs or visions about the city. No one heard that Iran had declared an El-Quds Day, or that in London, Hezbollah people would march in the streets demanding that Jerusalem be liberated, even though it was occupied by uh, Jordan. It seems only when Jews do what they're supposed to be, be where they're supposed to be, and fulfill what they're supposed to be fulfilling according to the prophecies, people get upset, angry, and even worse. And so these biblical prophecies, Jimmy, resonate among us today. Many times give us no rest, but at other times give us the challenge to fulfill those prophecies and to make Jerusalem a capital, not only of Jewish people, but a place where all peoples of all religions can come and pray to God to unite with the biblical message of ethics and morals and values that make people better people to all people. That's why we have a conversation with Winky Medad, because those prophecies from the ancient Jewish prophets will indeed be fulfilled, and that's the location the Davidic covenant says that there will be a temple and a Messiah, Jewish Messiah, there to rule and reign forever. Well, that's the bottom line, and that's part of the conversation about Jerusalem Day, the celebration of it. And I wanted to bring to the attention of Winky Madad that day, and I was thrilled to be able to hear his own personal experience. Winky, thank you so very much for the conversation. God bless you, my good friend. Stay well. Be careful with those grandbabies, and we'll talk again real soon. Jimmy, once again, thank you very much for having me on the program. And you keep yourselves and your family well as well. And goodbye to you and our listeners. Great conversation with Winky Madad talking to us about this newly formed Unity Emergency Government that's in place now, giving us great insight. And then his own personal recollection of the original Jerusalem Day, June 7, 1967. Great conversation with Winky Madad. He has a great memory. We call upon that memory all the time when we talk with Winky. Well, there's another man has a great memory because for 30 years he lived in Brussels, Belgium, and he's the man we turn to when we want to know something about the European Union, what is going on in this key region of the world, especially as it relates to Bible prophecy. That man's name, John Rood. He is our broadcast partner on the European Union. And John, thank you so very much for joining us today. Let me ask you about what's going on in the European Union as the foreign minister of this newly formed Israeli government, Gabi Ashkenazi, is saying that the EU is ignorant and are ignoring the threats that Israel faces. This is coming from this foreign minister newly put in place in Israel. 
Is the European Union actually doing that, or are they just not knowledgeable? Yes, well, the EU had hoped to congratulate Israel on the formation of the new government, but they made very clear their standard party line. The EU High Commissioner, Joseph Borrell, had made a statement as well and continued with uh, the two-state solution and expressed a, quote, grave concern if Prime Minister Netanyahu's coalition government would apply any sovereignty to parts of Judea and Samaria. So they actually said, we strongly urge Israel to refrain from any unilateral decision that would lead to annexation. It's just a plain blanket statement that does not recognize or reiterate or state in any way that the EU recognize that Israel is under certain threat. Well, they are indeed under certain threat from Iran, from the Palestinians, from Hezbollah as well. So this is why the foreign minister was speaking out to the European Union leaders. And I understand that this last week, the leader of the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, who is Mahmoud Abbas, he went to the Vatican to meet with the Pope so that the Pope would help them deal with Israel and the idea of the annexation of the West Bank or Judea and Samaria. Pope is supposed to be the religious leader, especially of the entire world, focused in the European Union, of course, but he's becoming really political, is he not? Yes, surprisingly, the Vatican is much more political than people might realize. Actually, uh, nations have embassies, actual embassies with ambassadors and so forth. So the PLO has a history of going to the Vatican, as you say, with being a religious leader to get audience with the Pope. And uh, the Vatican has reiterated as well what they see to be a complete respect for international law, the U.N. resolutions, and very strong as well on the two-state solution. In 2017, the very first embassy created by the state of Palestine was formed with the Vatican. They are very much politically inclined, which could be a surprise to many people, but most nations do have a representation there. Of course, many, many nations do not recognize Palestine as a state, but the Vatican does. It's very interesting also that when you look at Revelation chapter 17, you see in verse 12, the European Union, i.e., the revived Roman Empire, you see a false religion headquartered there in Rome, Italy. Quite an interesting connection with the political that we're talking about with John today and the prophetic of the future. John, talk to me about Germany. It looks like they have taken back their sovereignty from the European Union. Now, what does that mean? This is a huge story. This is, this is huge. We're, there's really a constitutional conflict which has occurred here. It has always been understood that all European Union law supersedes all national laws. And it's nothing that's really been tested in any large form. Yet, the Constitutional Court of Germany has come out with a ruling which is against the European Union law and uh, practice. So this has been very, very startling. And, of course, you know, Germany is the center of what we call the Franco-German motor of the European Union. And if there would be something that would come against the European Union in terms of national 
versus supranational sovereignty, it's surprising that it comes from Germany because they are at the center of it. But uh, they actually had ruled, the ruling was over 100 pages long, expressing that the EU practice of buying bonds, which we call quantitative easing, which the United States has used as well in recent years, they have declared this illegal under the German law because Germany doesn't sign off on the purchases of the bonds. And, and actually, this is how money is created. So if that was questioned to the point that they have three months to prove that this would be something that was necessary, if that can't be done and this practice stops, that could actually uh, unravel the Eurozone. Italy and Spain could actually have a liquidity crisis. And so this is absolutely astounding that such a thing has happened on, on this level. The European Commission, the president is German, and they say the European law applies without any restrictions. The EU member states assume that all national constitutions, they cannot do anything in the face of the EU law. So this is a startling, startling news, and this is speaking of cracks and fissures, iron and clay divisions. This is the beginning of something that seems to be very, very important for time to come. And this is absolute evidence why we have John Rood on a weekly basis come to give us the insight as to what's going on in the European Union. We look at the political because, as John hinted there in the last moments of the passage there in Daniel chapter 2, Toes of Iron and Clay, we see this all developing as we report the political, the prophetic is coming much better into focus. John, a very important report. Thank you so much for being available. We'll talk again next week. Yes, we'll look forward to it. Well, right now we're going to take an opportunity to talk with a dear friend of me personally and us here on Prophecy Today. We are always happy to have Dr. Elwood McQuaid join us at the broadcast table. Now, I understand, Elwood, yesterday was your 90th birthday. Is that correct? That's correct, Jimmy. I'm still standing after 90 years. Wow. Well, praise the Lord, and happy, happy birthday to you, my dear friend. Did you have a lot of friends and family come over and wish you happy birthday? Yes, we had a limited number, but we had a raucous time. <laughs> well, a little bit of a confession there. I, I received fists and fistfuls of cards, and you you realize how many people care about you, and that's a wonderful thing. Oh, that is so wonderful, and we do care about you. And again, a very happy birthday to you, my good friend. Well, Elwood, we've been focusing on Jerusalem Day, which, of course, is a very important day in the life of the state of Israel, the newborn state of Israel. I say newborn, 72 years old, but that's still pretty newborn. I know that Jerusalem is key to the Jewish people in Israel, the reunification of the city of Jerusalem on June 7, 1967. But from your perspective as a Christian, an author, a world traveler, the head of a group called Friends of Israel, what are your thoughts about Jerusalem Day? Now, not necessarily how it all happened, but this is a key day, is it not? Yes, it is, Jimmy. It lives in the hearts of the Jewish people for well over 2,000 years. They returned there 
was a thing that uh, next year in Jerusalem, they kept praying at every Passover table. I had the uh, opportunity and the privilege, actually, of interviewing and spending a great deal of time with General Uzinarchus, who was uh, the commanding general of the Central Forces in Jerusalem, who on June 7th went to the wall uh, with those victorious paratroopers who took the wall. And his observations are just uh, fascinating, actually. Could you share a couple of those observations with us? Yes. On the night, June 6th, he stood with Rabbi Shlomo Goran, who was the chief rabbi of Israel at the time, looking over the old city. Rabbi Goran told him, he said, Uzi, you're doing great things here. Tomorrow you'll have the opportunity to deliver back to the Jewish people what we've prayed for and longed for for 2,000 years. And he said, when you go to the wall, remember, I want to go with you. And Uzinarchus told <laughs> Shlomo Gorn, okay, Rabbi, go look for a ram's horn to blow when you get there. And on that day, Jimmy, when you talk to people, as you have, and I have had the privilege of doing, who were there, the participants, uh, like General Narcus and Rabin and uh, others, Something comes over them. There's something that changes the whole face of their being because it's, it's Jerusalem. But when Uzinarchus went to the wall with those, that famous David Rubinger picture of these soldiers looking up at the wall, he said, I had made a speech of what I would say when I arrived at the wall. And he said, I was ready to say something historic, but he said, when I arrived, I was speechless. I couldn't get out a word. He said, he said this, though. He said, but Elwood, I felt as though I was standing there with every Jew who had ever been born in the history of Judaism. And uh, then he said, I, I composed myself. I made a speech. At that time, uh, Rabbi Gorin arrived with the ram's horn. He blew the shofar inviting every Jew to come back home to Jerusalem. And it was, uh, it was just a fascinating portrayal of the emotions of these men when that historic day occurred. Wonderful. That's a great reflection that you've just shared with us, an observation from Uzi Narcus. And by the way, let me just put this little caveat in. I had the conversation with Shlomo Gorin about that same day, and he told me that actually he took a couple of sticks of dynamite, went into the gold dome building, was going to blow it up, the Dome of the Rock, so they could start building the temple. And General Uzinarchus came in and he said to, to Shlomo Gorin, Rabbi, put those dynamite sticks down or I'm going to have to arrest you. Well, it was not blown up, of course, uh, but all preparations being made for putting up a Jewish temple. There's a fascinating side to that story, though, Jimmy. In 1948, Uzi was 23 years old. He was a Palmach officer, and he was defending the old city of Jerusalem at the time. When the Jordanians pressed on him, and he had uh, only a handful of people. He had to make the decision, and it was a painful one, to withdraw from the old part of the city, the Jewish sector, and leave through the Lion's Gate. And he said that he, after all the years, 20-some 20 years, he had a chance to redeem himself, and he had a 
second chance, and he was the one who handed Jerusalem back to its people after that humiliation that lasted for some years for him. So all kinds of stories. You've heard them in the story you just told of Rabbi Gorin uh, and the the sticks of dynamite. Those are stories that will live forever uh, with the Jewish people. And when we celebrate this this great day of uh, Jerusalem Day. You know, it's so exciting to hear he left through the Lion Gate and then the Israeli Defense Force under the leadership of Uzi Narkis, along with the Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, came back in too and through the Lion Gate up onto the Temple Mount. Well, Elwood, what's exciting to me is as we read and study the scriptures, when Jesus Christ comes back, he's going to build a temple up on top of that Temple Mount that was reunited back there in June 7, 1967, and rule and reign from that spot. You and I will be doing that with him. This is special as it relates to the Christian and Jerusalem Day, isn't it? Yes, what a glorious, glorious future we have, Jimmy. When we look around us today and see all the chaos and the confusion, sickness and suffering, we we have, thank God, that better day, that better country. And that better country is going to take us to that place with the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and he's going to reign and we're going to reign with him. That's why Jerusalem makes mean so much to believers, Christian believers as well as Jewish uh, Jewish people. But, you know, when the Lord comes, he won't need two sticks of dynamite to transform the temple. He's going to restore the temple, and we're going to go up to Jerusalem with him, singing those Rip. songs of ascent as we go, Jimmy. Wow. Praise the Lord. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Elwood, again, a happy birthday on your 90th birthday. Keep looking up, buddy, and keep on keeping on. And we hope to have another conversation in the near future with you, my good friend. Let's have it, Jimmy. I'm ready for you. God bless you. All right, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back on the other side, we're going to have one more broadcast partner, David James, and we are going to make a tribute to the life and ministry of Paul Buber. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome back to my last half hour of this 90-minute program where we have had conversations with our broadcast partners who have been able to give us details behind headlines around this world Headlines of stories that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Do me a favor, if you will, go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and there on the left-hand column, if you'll scroll down, you'll find our poll question for this week. It's an appropriate poll question because of our emphasis on Jerusalem Day on the broadcast here on Prophecy Today. Here's the poll question. The word Jerusalem is used 764 times in the Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Jerusalem has a great prophetic significance, and the reunification of the city of Jerusalem on June 7, 1967, is key to the state of Israel today. Do you also believe that Jerusalem 
is key to the future for both Jews and Christians? That's our poll question. Please answer the question if you will. And let me remind you of our YouTube channel, the address youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I, with our weekly conversation, will focus on an issue and today on a personality, a man of God who has gone to be with his Lord into the heavenlies. We're talking about Paul Buber, who went to be with the Lord this last week. We'll get into this in just a moment, but David, as we begin our discussion, let me remind those listening in that can send us questions that they have some concerns about anything we may say right here during our time of conversation on Prophecy Today. This week, actually, we received a question from one of our listeners about a pastor whose podcast he listens to who seemed to downplay the importance of coming to a conclusion about the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word. Now, this is speaking about one pastor, but I'm sure this is applicable for many pastors. What are your thoughts? Well, I would say that's probably true, and of course, uh, we want to thank our listeners for writing in, and we've been actually receiving quite a few emails lately, and we're always happy to uh, interact with those. So, as it turns out, this listener has a son with a medical condition, and so because of that, he's not able to go to church, and so he listens to sermons via podcast and radio, and he wrote this. He said, a couple of years ago, I found a pastor in Washington State who has an exceptional talent for teaching the truth of the gospel. He uses an expository approach on his sermons. And about a month ago, he started interviewing a friend of his, and a couple of weeks ago, the end time scenario came up during the conversation. And this man went on to say, our listener went on to say, this past week, he said that this pastor made mention of the fact that he chooses not to pay much attention to the prophetic end times, because there are so many good arguments supporting a pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation rapture, and so we'll just accept what will happen when it happens. So our listener was wondering about whether he should continue listening to this particular pastor. And you know, Jimmy, that's a bit of a tough question that he'll need to work through himself as he weighs the positives and negatives. But I did tell him that now he may well start hearing other things that concern him, because all of our theology, not just our eschatology, all of our theology comes from our hermeneutic. That means the way that we interpret the Bible, which means it's very possible that there are other parts of this pastor's theology that are affected by that, and he may find out that maybe it's better to try to find a pastor that handles the Word of God more consistently. I think that would be a great suggestion for the listener who sent us that email. Well, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, David, this last week, one of our dear friends, both of you and for me, Paul Buber, finished his race here on this earth and graduated to heaven. So I thought, and you and I both concluded, that it'd be great for us to spend some of our time together this week talking about this great man of God. 
Well, Paul entered the presence of the Lord at 87 years old and was definitely a uniquely gifted man of God who served the Lord with Word of Life Fellowship for around six decades in a number of key roles over the years, and we'll get to some of that later. Back in August, I believe it was, Paul suffered a severely debilitating stroke just a few days before his daughter's wedding. Then she and her new husband and Paul's wife and others cared for him over these past nine months in Florida as they were never able to return to their home near Word of Life in the Adirondacks of New York State. The morning he died, his daughter wrote this on Facebook. She said, Heaven is sweeter, earth is harder, home is nearer, dad is farther. This morning God answered our prayers and brought my sweet dad home to glory. No more pain, no more immobility. No more struggle, only peace, only comfort, only Jesus. I thought that was just a wonderful tribute to her dad. And you know, Jimmy, I tell young people that we all need to have spiritual heroes in our lives, those that we can look up to who have been faithful throughout their lives, who have lives and ministries we can aspire to. And Paul Buber was one of my spiritual heroes. Now, you know, this isn't about putting someone on a pedestal or idolizing a man, but I do think it's appropriate to honor a faithful servant of the Lord who contributed so much to the ministry of Word of Life and really to the cause of conservative evangelicalism throughout his life. And even though he wasn't as well-known as some of the men we've honored here, like Charles Ryrie or Dwight Pentecost or Roy Zook or Reynolds Showers, for example, I would say that the ripple effects of his life are in that same category. Yes, I would agree 100%. Well, David, let's take a moment, as you suggested, to talk about some of the ministry that Paul had over the years with Word of Life. Over the course of these some 60 years, he had many important positions on the staff. Well, before Paul joined Word of Life in 1959, as a young man in his early 20s, he pastored a small church in rural Maine and had invited the founder of Word of Life, Jack Wurtson, to speak at his church. And around 1958, Paul began to work with Word of Life by speaking at youth rallies and events. And then in the next year, 1959, when Paul was 26 years old, Jack invited him to join Word of Life as the athletic program director for camp on the Word of of Life Island. And Paul actually became a legend around Word of Life with teens from hundreds of churches uh, because of his crazy antics in that camp. I think everyone has a Paul Buber story. I have them. I'm sure you have them as well. And then in the early 1960s, Paul invented Word of Life clubs, now known as local church ministries, which over the years has provided sound biblical training to young people from elementary age up through college and career around the world. And in the 1980s, Paul became the Overseas Missions Director, a department that's now called International Ministries. And it was under his leadership that Word of Life exploded onto the world scene as one of the most effective mission organizations in the world, I would say. And it was in this role as the International Ministries Director that Paul mentored his successor in that division, Don Locke. And Don is now the International Executive Director for the entire Word of Life ministry with thousands of staff in over 70 countries around the world. So I think I can say without fear of exaggeration that over the years, Paul directly ministered to tens of thousands of people and indirectly to probably in the hundreds of thousands. 
Absolutely. I believe that is the case. David, you mentioned just a bit earlier that Paul was one of your spiritual heroes, but he also had a special place in your life and ministry as a missionary there with Word of Life in Hungary, did he not? You know, Jimmy, Paul met a Jewish-Hungarian businessman in 1984 on a flight back to London, and that was the same year that we were saved. And it was this connection that ultimately led to Word of Life being the first nonprofit religious organization to go into Hungary above ground, and that was six months before the Berlin Wall fell. Then at the missions conference in October of that year, 1989, Karen and I decided to be missionaries in Eastern Europe with Word of Life, and that was just two weeks before the Berlin Wall fell. So because Paul was overseas director, I asked him about opening up Poland for Word of Life, but because I wanted to help start a Bible institute, he suggested that we go to Hungary, where they already had a piece of property. And when we arrived in Hungary in 1992, Paul's son, Dan, was already there as a missionary, so he was a co-worker until he tragically died in the spring of 1996 in an auto accident there in Hungary. And Jimmy, I know from conversations that you and I've had that you also had a special personal relationship with Paul. Actually, that is true, David. We, Judy and myself, and our three children joined Word of Life in 1970, And at that time, there was a young Paul Boober and a young Jimmy DeYoung who were traveling as evangelists, basically, for the ministry of Word of Life. Our two wives, Judy, my wife, and Shirley, Paul's wife, uh, became very close friends because with their husbands gone and the dads of their children, they had to, well, collaborate to figure out how they were going to deal with all the situations. So after church, almost every single Sunday... They would either go to Shirley's house, Paul and Shirley's house, or our house, and they would get together with the children and have a meal together. Boy, great memories. I could bring my children to the microphone. They could just talk about Paul Boober and his special wife, Shirley, as well for a number of times. But you've said so much, and let me just kind of conclude my comments. I could talk for the next half hour about, or maybe an hour, about Paul Boober, but I never heard him make a negative statement. I loved this brother. Every single time I saw him, he was always encouraging me in my ministry and to do what God wanted me to do. I do believe, as I've talked with many others across the world, that was the same type of a a respect that people had for Paul because of his encouragement to do and be at the ministry. God had used him for many, many years here in America. In fact, the other day I just saw a film that Paul was a star on. Shorty Yeaworth produced the film. It was called The Gospel Blimp, and Paul was the one, the spokesperson throughout the entire film and played a key role in the film, talking about how we should try to win people to Jesus Christ. So Paul had a fruitful, a long ministry, and we praise the Lord for exactly how the Lord used Paul Buber over the years. David, I think it's important for us to take time to do these kinds of tributes when these giants of the faith end their journey here on earth and head for the heavenlies. And it makes me wonder about who will come behind them in the next generation, younger men who will pick up the baton. 
Well, Jimmy, I share your concern. And as you and I were talking on the phone about this a couple of days ago, it occurred to me that a lot of these great men we've lost over the last few years had really already established themselves as theologians and scholars and or ministry leaders by the time they were in their 40s and early 50s. And we desperately need some theologically conservative guys with vision and passion and drive who are willing to step up to the plate, who will be the next generation of great theologians and Bible teachers and evangelists, pastors and missionaries and authors and ministry leaders that, you know, the possibilities are unlimited. But I'm also encouraged because I've traveled around the world and taught the next generation for years. I've been able to connect with some younger guys uh, around the world. And, uh, and so I honestly hope there are more younger guys out there, maybe even a few listening to us right now, who are willing to say to the Lord, I'll do anything, anywhere, any time, at any cost. That's a great exhortation, David, and I hope those men that you were speaking about, that age category, are listening, but others as well. Remember, Moses was in his 80s when he started his ministry. So take that exhortation. And here was Paul Boober still active in ministry at 87 years of age until the Lord took him home. Uh, that's a great testimony. David, thank you for putting this conversation together so we could honor Paul Boover and his life of ministry. Appreciate it so much. I think we'll do this every time one of the great saints is invited by the Lord to come home a bit early before the rapture. But thank you for this conversation. We'll have another one next week. I'll look forward to it, Jimmy. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to look at the book. We're going to open the Bible, take all the reports from our broadcast partners, and take a look as to how it all fits together for the end-time scenario provided in the Word of God. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. 
be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. What I am going to do right now is rehearse some of the headlines from our broadcast partners and then give you my prophetic perspective on their lead stories. Our broadcast partners stationed around the world were able to give us insight into the headlines happening from that part of the world and how significant these headlines and the stories and the details behind the stories may well be in the playing out of the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. These are excellent reports. You need to have heard each and every one of them. If you had to miss any of the reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's on the right-hand column of my homepage, prophecytoday.com. And then go over there. You'll see the entire program made available, archived, ready for you to listen to. Or you can listen to the individual interviews. Either way, I would love for you to hear what our broadcast partners had to say. Again, that address, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. And be sure to tell a friend. They need to hear these reports as well. They're key as we look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. Now, let me prove that statement. For example, we talk with Ken Timmerman. Ken is located in southern France, and from that vantage point, he was able to give us details about geopolitical activities happening around the world. My first question to Ken was about the conspiracy in China over the coronavirus. Many secular media people have talked about this conspiracy, but from a prophetic and biblical perspective, Ken gave us a report. You do not want to miss what Ken had to say. And let me bring this to your attention. China is a key player in the last six months of the tribulation period, as foretold there in Revelation chapter 16 and verse 12, when the river Euphrates will dry up, making way for the kings of the east, and that group, the kings of the east, led by China, will come in. This will be the group of people, all the peoples of the world and the nations of the world, that will gather at Jerusalem at the second coming of Jesus Christ. China is key for Bible prophecy. David Dolan had a Middle East news update, and of course, that region of the world is key for the prophetic scenario as well that will unfold in the last days. David gave us a report of what the prime minister, the new prime minister, he's been prime minister now for over 15 years, but he is the prime minister of the new government. I'm talking about Benjamin Netanyahu, and he gave a warning to Iran. Iran, in light of Jerusalem Day, the day of the reunification of the city of Jerusalem during the Six-Day War in 67, Iran is saying that the destruction 
of the entire state of Israel, including Jerusalem, is an imminent event. In other words, it could happen at any time. The prime minister responded by saying to Iran, you threaten Israel, you face destruction. Well, that is the case according to God's word. Ezekiel 38 and 39 talk about this alignment that will be destroyed by Jesus Christ as they try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, especially Ezekiel 38, verse 18, through chapter 39 and verse 6. Winky Madad gave us the insights into the new unity emergency government that was put in place this last week. Prime Minister Netanyahu heading up that government is the fifth historic government that he has been in charge of at the beginning of it. But he is facing some problems with the courts in Israel. Winky talked a bit about that. And then I got Winky to reflect on the original Jerusalem Day back in 1967. Winky was in Jerusalem going to university and was serving in the Israeli Defense Force. You'll love hearing Winky's stories. John Rood is the man who gives us the information about the European Union. He talked about the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization, and its head, Mahmoud Abbas, meeting with the Pope there in Rome, Italy, asking for help from the Pope on the problem they see happening ahead with this new Israeli government annexation of Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley. I had the honor of having the Christian statesman Dr. Elwood McQuaid join me. He just celebrated his 90th birthday, but he is still speaking distinctly about his love for the Jewish people, and in particular, the city of Jerusalem. He shared his conversations with the leader of the Israeli Defense Force who took back that Temple Mount in Jerusalem, reuniting the city of Jerusalem on June 7, 1967. That was General Narcus and a couple of side stories about Shlomo Gorin as well, who was the chief of the Israeli Defense Force rabbinical operation. And then David James and I spent some moments giving a tribute to the life and ministry of Paul Buber, a longtime friend of both David and myself and our families. I shared a little bit about how my wife, Judy, and Paul's wife, Shirley, became such dear friends as Paul and I were traveling the world preaching the gospel and our wives at home taking care of our families. Paul was a great man. He was a great encourager, and I praise the Lord for his life and ministry and my privilege of knowing Paul Buber. Well, those are the reports from our broadcast partners. These men were able to reveal some of the details, the information behind the headlines that we're all reading, reporting on happenings around the world. These current events, I'm absolutely convinced, are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And as I gave you my prophetic perspective on these events, you have to recognize we are at the point for the next event on God's calendar of activities. That would be the rapture of the church. Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trump of God will sound, and those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be caught up to meet him in the air and be with him forevermore. And by the way, that rapture 
could happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up on two. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.